Hey guys, it's Adam with another episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. And I wanted to uh, specifically thank you to all the sponsors that have gone to uh, www.anchor.fm forward slash Adam Casper and uh, actually sponsored me. So you can do that for as little as 99 cents and it goes all the way up to $9.99 per month. So I appreciate everybody that's doing that. And if you are a sponsor, please reach out to me, send me an email, and you know I can arrange for a phone consultation, or we can trade emails or something like that, so that we can uh, work directly with each other in some capacity. Um, I also wanted to thank everybody that's listening to all the different uh, uh, podcast outlets, and uh, recognize that uh, you know I appreciate all the support wherever you are. I uh, hope everybody's staying safe. So. Today, I want to talk about boundaries and house rules. So this has become a big thing um, recently, and um, I want to spend a couple of moments and just establish a couple of things that should be best practices, at least uh, their best practices in my house and uh, a lot of my clients. So here we go, guys. Okay, guys. Um, one of the big things with uh, boundaries, and what I mean by boundaries uh, for dog training is, you know, respecting both physical boundaries and boundaries as far as, you know, etiquette and rules of your house. So that could be anything from counter surfing to rushing through gates or doorways. Um, also could also like uh, be the same as, you know, what do you allow your dog to do? Is, is breaking a boundary a dog ju- jumping on you um, when it's not appropriate? Um, so I think one of the simplest things to describe first and foremost, and I think is a very appropriate thing when you bring a new dog into your house and you start dog training and you really start gaining the dog's trust and respect is demonstrating that you're in control of food resources, food and water. And that when you have a bowl of food, you know, that you're not necessarily just, it's not free game for the dog automatically. And it's not their, um, God given right. I mean, we've we've talked about dominance we've talked about things where you know the the dog kind of perceives things as well this is mine and uh you know but the reality is if you're controlling food you're controlling water you're controlling attention and affection and praise and all those other things um you don't need to be physically dominant you don't need to be physical in any way uh, really you're holding you know their life in your hands because you're controlling their 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 food their water um, their ability to stay stay alive and stay safe and um, you know it's very important that way but let's establish some real relationship bonds and and roles in in the household so one of the things I like to do uh, is have my kids feed the dogs and when they do um, they don't pour the food into the bowl or pour the water into the bowl. They actually take the food bowls away and prepare the food somewhere else and usually somewhere where the dog doesn't have access to it. So this is kind of like also starting to demonstrate to a dog that counter surfing is not okay. So if you're putting it on your your counter where you do some of your own food prep uh, for, you know, cooking and, you know, uh, um, you know, just whatever in, in your kitchen, uh, you're making sure that the dog stays in a sit or lays down. Or in some cases, like certain dogs that I've had, they're not even allowed in the room. They're not even allowed through the doorway. And if they put one paw uh, into the room, I stop what I'm doing, I go, ah, ah, and I push them back. 
And when I say by pushing back, I'm using spatial pressure. I'm using body blocking techniques where I walk towards the dog and I don't give them any other way around me. Basically, you need to be a, like a goalie in soccer or hockey and you angle the dog out of the room by making yourself appear as big as possible, but you don't let the dog go around you, sneak around you or anything like that. And you're persistent until the dog sits or lays down and becomes compliant. And you can think of it as submission at that point too. But I think really what I'm trying to convey there is the dog respects you and what you're doing because you're doing something for them. And I don't care if they're very thirsty, very hungry. You should make that take as much time as you need to, to put the food and the water down without the dog rushing over and trying to barge their way in and steal it. So I don't know about all of you that are listening, but the food that I provide for my dogs, my dogs love, love the food. And they can't wait to eat. The thing is, is that I don't just allow them free access to that bowl. And whether it's uh, my, my, my 12-year-old daughter or 19-year-old stepson or my wife or myself, this is something that's non-negotiable. The dog sits. The dog waits. I put the food bowl all the way down. I remove my hand from the bowl. I take one or two giant steps backwards. And that dog is supposed to wait there and stay. And then when the dog makes appropriate eye contact with me for maybe somewhere between three to five seconds or longer, then you release the dog by giving a, a, a release command. Okay, free, all right. Whatever you want to do, but make this a part of your routine. The food preparation, putting the, 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 the water in the bowl, putting the, the kibble in the bowl, or whatever you're preparing the food. Um, I'm preferential to kibble. So, you know, when the dogs hear the, the kibble clanging in the bowl, they know it's dinner time. But they also know, you know, that they're not allowed to jump up on the counter. They're not allowed to put their paws on me. Otherwise, the whole process stops. And this one simple way of doing this does establish you as being in charge, but also request, not requesting, but demanding the dog's focus and attention because they are hungry and they're motivated for that food. And at that moment, you control the destiny of whether they win this or not. And the only way they do win is if they follow your rules and they don't cross any boundaries. And the boundaries are your physical boundaries, whether it's you or the the, the um, cabinets in your in your kitchen or your counters. Um, they don't rush up to the food bowl. They don't try and push you out of the way. And they certainly don't try and use their teeth or growl or be bullies themselves. Otherwise, the process stops or goes into reverse. So... What does that look like? You know, if you're pouring the food in there and all of a sudden you feel two, two uh, paws that punch you in, in your lower back and you turn around, you stop pouring the food, turn around and body block the dog out of the room, make the dog sit and down and stay. And then you step backwards and you start the process over again. So be it. But I think this is one of those things. If you go through this multiple times, the dog really understands that I don't get fed any other way than sitting, laying down, which are appropriate, obedient behaviors. They're universally appreciated by anyone. And 
Look, it's very easy to say if you have a house sitter come over or your dog's uh, being boarded somewhere, you know, you say, okay, tell my dog to sit and wait while you prepare the food. The dog does so. You put the food down. The dog kind of inches towards you and say, "Uh uh-uh, wait. And then the dog looks back at you, confirm, yes, good job, sit, be patient, go slow. You don't have to do this rapidly until the dog really understands the ritual and the routine and the consistency of this. Now, I mean, guys, I actually go into this to the to the extent of the release. When I say free, I'll literally point at the bowl. And the way I do it personally is I'm kind of like doing a, a, like a motion, like I'm bowling. You know, I'm put, I'm taking my one of my hands and I'm like sweeping down towards towards the ground and pointing towards the the bowl kind of like I'm almost like throwing a treat into the bowl. And I don't throw food into the bowl, but it's just getting the dog to activate a little bit of a prey drive. And then also they're already hungry. So they're kind of like, woohoo, and then they go for it. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a, a good way to initiate that. So some of the other boundaries that you might, um, you might want to consider using. And uh, a lot of this does deal with body blocking and spatial pressure that don't have anything to do with uh, any kind of force. You know, you're not grabbing the dog's collar. You're not pulling them. You're not shoving them in any way because all of that's going to be wrong. And I'm going to tell you it's wrong in the sense that you don't want to activate the dog's opposition reflex. You don't want the dog to jump up on you and shove you with their paws and then you shove them back because then it becomes... The opposite of a tug of war, it becomes a shoving match and the dog's having fun. And then how you can kind of poison that whole process is the dog shoves you a couple times and you shove back and forth and you're wrestling and you grab the collar and you, you, you pull the dog out of the way and then you put the food bowl down. Well, then the dog figures all I got to do is wrestle you every time you put the food down. So the other stuff I wanted to talk to, talk to you guys about is, you know, physical boundaries, Like the front door, like the back door, like the gate that leads out of your garden to the outside world. Um, Doors that go in and out of buildings. So if you live in an apartment situation, um, elevators, things like that. So doorways that are kind of community doorways and no one wants to see, you know, a 150 pound Rottweiler busting through a, a doorway in an apartment complex because even though that dog is probably the sweetest, goofiest dog on the planet and everybody loves them, it's still it's still kind of a dangerous thing to have a big, heavy dog bursting through a doorway. And um, also it's dangerous for the, for the dog owner. You know, equipment failures happen, um, collars break, leashes snap, they get worn. Uh, and also you can just, Flat out drop them, and then you have a loose dog. So to kind of elicit a, a boundary or um, you know a barrier uh, and, and having the dog comply with not rushing through that, um, this thing take, this technique takes a lot, a lot of patience and lots and lots of repetition. So you know if you have a home that has a uh, door that leads to the outside, and obviously, having a dog go outside to play or go for a walk is definitely a reward. 
So your dog will get excited when they see the leash or the harness. They know what's happening and they get very excited. So if you want to train for that, prepare for that moment and understand in your own mind that you don't have to go anywhere in a hurry. But as soon as you say, hey, buddy, you want to go for a walk? And the dog goes crazy. Go over to the door, hook them up to the leash, put your hand on the doorknob. And if the door dog pushes their nose or pushes their body in between you and the doorway, even before you open it, take your hand off the doorknob, turn back to the dog, use a little spatial pressure, get in their way a little bit, back them up an inch or two, get them to sit, get them to refocus on you. So gain eye contact, you know, by doing watch me or, or look, whatever your, uh, your phrase is to, to gain eye contact with your dog. And then pause for a moment or two. So you're also waiting for a little bit of impulse control. And, you know, obviously anyone that listens to this podcast knows that, you know, impulse control, focus, they're the name of the game. If you, if you get good at that with your dog, your dog is basically can do whatever you want them to do. But having them understand that anytime I touch that doorknob does not mean that you just put on a jetpack and you fly through there without a thought in your mind. You have to sit. You have to wait. And usually the command I use is wait, not stay. Because there's a difference between the two things. And I'll just describe what that is, at least to me. Stay is I put you in this spot and I leave. But then I return to take you off that spot. So the way I described it last night to a client, if I put my phone on your on your table and I walked out of the room, when I come back, it's still on the table and I pick it up and I put it in my pocket and I go home. Well, same thing with the dog. If I put the dog in a stay, in a room, they're not supposed to move from that spot. Okay? But the difference is on the doorway, it's wait. All that means is just don't do anything for a moment. We're going to go. Everything's going to move forward. You'll get your reward. It's kind of like leave it in the way, in, in, in an abstract way. But... You are not allowed to move from the spot until I say it's okay and I give you a release word. Free, come, okay, whatever feels natural to you. But like I always say, pick one release word and re- and go with that one. That'll be the same one for everything. So for instance, I walk up to my, my doorway that goes out to my backyard. My dog thinks we're going to go play. I'll tell her to sit. I might tell her to watch me. I go touch the doorknob. Her butt goes off the ground. She stands up. I say, "Uh, uh-uh, wait. Tell her to sit again. Wait, and I'll give her the stop sign the same as I do with stay. So this way it has a very familiar look and feel to it. Now, I mean, I guess it could be argued that that would be confusing for a dog. You know, which one does it mean, stay or wait? Well, from a concept perspective, the dog is basically the same. They're not allowed to move. The difference is, though, with stay, stay, you're going to be mostly practicing stuff like stay in a down uh, first because that's easier. You see the dog starting to fidget. You can correct the dog with a verbal cue like ah, ah, or something like that, verbal correction. You can put your hand back up for a hand gesture, and the dog doesn't gain any, any rewards or uh, praise for that. However, on weight, you know, weight is a momentary thing. So 
The doorway is an example. That's good, uh, a good circumstance. I was telling you guys about elevators and things like that. You know, the door opens, doesn't mean just rush into it. So it would be wait, you put your hand, you know, there's a stop sign in front of the dog's nose, you know, keep it a good foot away, but, you know, have the dog understand that you're mostly in front of them. And if they do move in that direction, you're able to pivot and get your full body, your full front of your body in front of the dog. So this is what, you know, physically you're preventing them from moving forward because they have to go through you to get through that doorway or through that barrier. And I hope that's clear because um, it's one technique that if if you get a dog very, very good at it, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to stop at every doorway. I mean, it takes a lot of work to get there. But what it does mean is when you go to touch a doorknob uh, and you tell the dog to wait, they have a verbal reference and they know sort of what to do. If you give the hand gesture on top of it, they're more sure of what to do. And if they've already been taught stay it has that familiar ring to it so you know from a cognitive perspective they can kind of put it all together so it's definitely something that should be practiced and it should be practiced a lot Uh, i'm sure there's a lot of good videos on youtube and stuff like that um you know i I can uh probably produce some at some point but uh, i have to kind of get out from the uh, mountain of, of work i'm working on right now but guys you know i think this is going to be a short uh short episode because uh, making those two points and and two little tasks, I think it's something that most of you can easily repeat. And when you do that, um, you're going to find that even if you're doing like a doorway, like your bedroom door, don't let the dog in or out of the bedroom uh, unless they follow this protocol. Don't let the dog move from a spot or into the kitchen unless you're able to put the food water in the bowl Walk the, 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 the dishes over to the place where the dog eats. Put it down. The dog doesn't move the whole time. And then you, you release them. Both cases, you're releasing the dog. They get to do something that they really want to do and provides them things they really need. So to kind of close the whole idea there is, you know, the, the reward for the dog is you get dinner or breakfast. Uh, the reward for the dog is you get to go outside and and do your business you get to eliminate you get to uh you know do the bathroom duties or you get to play or go for a walk so all these are on the 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 plus side you don't need treats for that guys you know that's the reward right there and you know i think for a lot of positive reinforcement dog trainers you know we'll be talking to our clients and one of the key phrases that comes up over and over again yeah, well, he does it, but, you know, only if I have treats or he's only doing it because he's working for treats. Well, this these are two activities where, you know, you could argue the fact that the food is a treat, but no, it's it's his sustenance. It's what keeps him alive. And it's something that you could easily replicate at least twice a day, depending on what your feed schedule is with your dog. I mean, I feed my dog twice a day. So we go through this ritual twice a day. Anytime she goes outside, which is, you know, anywhere from four or 10 times, who knows? I mean, if it's a really nice day or a lot of stuff going on outside, she might go outside a dozen times or more, but the protocol still is the same. She's not, if I touch that doorknob and she comes out of the sit, I go, uh, sit, wait. And she's got to wait. And I think it's a very nice part of, of household rules that keeps your dog in, in good manners so that. If you do go elsewhere or you do have anyone else that takes care of your dog, 
if you explain how to speak to the dog and, and specifically how to elicit these behaviors, the dog will be welcomed anywhere with open arms. And I think most of us who have dogs and really love our dogs the, the way I do, uh, you can bring your dog anywhere at that point. And they're welcomed everywhere because they don't jump on counters. They don't steal food. They're not pushy. They're not obnoxious. They don't try and bolt out of the door anytime the door is even open for a crack or for a second. And, you know, to some degree, guys, just talking from a safety perspective, it might save the dog's life. If the dog doesn't charge out of your front door and run out into the street, and some some of the listeners out there, I know you live on busy places, busy cities. Last thing you want is, you know, for that one moment you're distracted, door opens slightly, or you you go to close it and it doesn't open fully. I would like for at least my dog to at least have a mental speed bump going, hmm, normally I slow down here. And they kind of look for you for a reaction. And if they don't get it, that maybe hopefully crossing your fingers, if you get really good at this, they do stop at that boundary. All right, guys. So that's it for this podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support. If you guys want to get in touch with me, probably the best way to do so is going to uh, anchor.fm slash adam-casper. Right on there, you can uh, message me through my social media. Uh, or, of course, you can email me directly. It's adam at casperdogtraining.com. And uh, if any of you guys are in the New York City, um, northern New Jersey area, uh, you can go to www.casperdogtraining.com forward slash book dash online, and we can book in-person training. If you're outside of that, like, 20-mile bubble uh, of Manhattan and uh, northern Jersey, you want to do an online dog training. It's 50 bucks, guys. 50 bucks for an hour of dog training, and you'd be surprised. I mean, I, I can be very creative with stuff we can do with the videos. Um, we can cover leash work. We can cover obedience. Uh, we can definitely cover stuff like uh, recall and some behavior modifications. It's very effective when we're discussing things like resource guarding and uh, separation anxiety and behavior modification because a lot of that doesn't necessarily need a lot of demonstrations. So everyone, please stay, stay the course with COVID protocols, socially distant, wash your hands, wear your mask, um, and, you know, Sign up for that vaccine. Uh, some of my family's already got it. Uh, I'm in the process of getting mine, and uh, really excited for you know getting back into real life. Um, you know, it is March now, and we're we're heading into longer days, and spring is coming. And I want everybody to be safe. So take care of yourself. Um, wash your hands, and uh, be well, everyone. Cheers.